This message was shared from the pulpit at Good News Baptist Church in Chesapeake, Virginia. For more information, visit us online at goodnewsbaptist.org. I'm going to begin with a confession today. Uh-oh. I'm confessing to you that I'm frustrated every day with the evil that is changing my America. Evil doesn't just happen. People perpetuate it. We live in a very needy nation where people who don't know God are empty inside and are seeking to try to satisfy that emptiness I'll just be honest, in crazy ways. They keep searching. It gets darker. They don't have answers. The suicide rates prove that among all these groups that are proud about what they are. They're empty. They're miserable. But they're without Christ. I can be frustrated, but Pastor Long confronted my thinking in a recent message because I find myself wanting the Lord to come back, take his church out of this mess. Lord, just just get us out of here and do what you need to do. But he confronted us with the fact that, first of all, that doesn't reflect the joyfulness that Christians should have in tribulation. And it certainly betrays a lack of compassion for those that continued to sin and be away from God. Then I study a text like we're going to look at today, and God brings me back to his perspective on the loss that Jesus came to save. Becky just saying, Jesus is the sweetest name I know. You know what, what people need in this world? They need somebody to just tell them about Jesus. And if they'll turn in faith to him, he changes everything. He gives hope. And when I think about how the Lord views the lost, then I'm honest, or I'm reminded to be honest about who I was before I was saved. And then how I should see lost souls around me. So let me just ask a question, and this is the title of the message to say today. How do you see the lost? How do you view them? As a frustration? As those who are ruining our nation that my grandkids, your grandkids have to live in if the Lord tarries? Is that where we're focused? How do you see the lost? Now last week we looked at the prelude to the conversion of a Roman centurion by the name of Cornelius. It's easy to look at Cornelius uh, not really even as a lost man. He's He's just a good man. In fact, he's pious. He prays to the right God. He, he gives alms, so he, he, uh, and, and he's leading his family uh, to seek the God of, of Israel. 
and so I, I look at a guy like that, I wouldn't mind having him to be my neighbor. And, and I, I, I tend to look at a lost person like that differently than someone, again, who is strutting their sin. You know anybody who likes to strut their sin? But the fact is, someone who's proud about their sin or a guy like Cornelius, they're, just, they're both just as lost as I was before I got saved. Now, if religion could save a soul, Cornelius would have qualified. But this sincere man was sincerely lost. If he had died, he would have gone straight to hell. Now, the truth is that Cornelius was a seeking man, and God was seeking him. Isn't that great about our God? He was seeking, but God was already seeking him. In fact, we saw that God had a plan that he was working out to bring Cornelius to salvation. The last hymn that we sung this morning reminds us, I need to go to others with the same love that people came to me with the gospel. I have been blessed. And I need to share that blessing, my witness now, one commentator looking at Acts chapter 10 called Acts 10, 1 to 8, the preparation of Cornelius. Today, we're going to begin to see, verses 9 to 16, the preparation of Peter. Because this apostle didn't see lost Gentiles as souls that Jesus came to save. Now, that puzzles me a little bit. He had spent three and a half years with the Lord. Jesus told him at the outset, follow me and I will make you fishers of men. And even through Jesus' earthly ministry, there were Gentiles. Jesus won them too. But Peter's got a problem. Despite all that the Savior had taught the disciples, Peter viewed the Gentiles as unclean and people who needed to be avoided. Before we get too pious ourselves, again, how do you view the lost? If a beggar, a homeless person like Lazarus, remember him in the, in the New Testament? What if he set up right outside? Oh, we, the rich man, he, he should have taken care of Lazarus. What would you do? Again, how do you view the lost? We have panhandlers here in Chesapeake. They're at strategic places hoping you'll make a donation as you leave a shopping center. How do you view those people? As we noted last week, in every life, God is working out his plan to save. We need to get in the mindset that when we see a lost person, God could very well intend for us to be part of that plan to bring them to Christ. And so in Acts chapter 10, look at verse 9. On the morrow, as they went on their journey. Now, these are two servants of Cornelius and one of his trusted soldiers. 
they drew nigh unto the city. So these are messengers sent by Cornelius at the Lord's command to find Peter. Now while they approached Joppa, where Peter is staying, read on, Peter went up upon the housetop to pray about the sixth hour. You want to make a note, that's noon, it's lunchtime. Verse 10, and he became very hungry. Uh, some of the commentators commented it could be he was on the housetop and he was smelling what was being prepared in the kitchen. Now that can make you hungry, amen? And he would have eaten. What does that mean? He's desiring to eat. I smile. He's smelling and he's thinking, when are they going to be ready? Somebody ring the dinner bell. But while they made ready, he fell into a trance. I'll confess, I don't know that smelling food has ever put me in a trance. At that point, I'm pretty focused. Where's, where's the table? All right. This is nothing more than a miracle from the Lord. And we saw at the beginning of the chapter the devotion of Cornelius. Here we see the devotion of Peter. Pastor, what are you talking about? Well, devout Jews prayed three times a day. Here's what David said in Psalm 55, 17. Evening and morning and at noon will I pray and cry aloud, and he shall hear my voice. I believe that this was a pattern in David's life. Certainly we know it was a pattern in Daniel the prophet's life. He prayed three times a day, and you'll remember it got him in trouble because the king had issued a command no one was to pray but to the king who viewed himself as God, and when David was faithful to pray three times a day to his God, he ended up in a den full of lions. God spared his life. Now the devout Cornelius was lost without the knowledge of salvation. The devout Peter, though, was limited without the knowledge of who Jesus was willing to save. This really is the crux, the content of, the, of this passage. The vision the Savior caused Peter to see was an important step to having his understanding opened. Now I'm reminded that the Lord will allow Christians to see things that are meant to bring compassion to our hearts for lost people, not contempt for lost people. I want to be very careful just mentioning this illustration, but Barney and I were uh, in Haiti, and uh, this, this was not a member of the, the ship's crew, but there was someone who came with us, an American, and as we were at the clinics each day, this individual got more and more frustrated with the Haitians that we were trying to minister to. Uh, these folks were desperate. Some of them were pushing. Some of them were acting unthankful. And I watched as this American got more and more frustrated, and it started to turn into contempt. And I believe it was one of those moments that the Lord gives you, and you know it's just from God. I was standing, we were in a church building, the place was full, and I was standing on the platform, 
and I was watching the people and we were all busy, but it was a moment where, I'll just be honest with you, God broke my heart. I have it so good. These people have nothing. And so God broke my heart. And, and just after that happened, I looked over at this individual, this fellow American, and uh, you, you just see this person's countenance changing. And I couldn't take it anymore. So I went down. God gave grace. I smiled at this person. I said, compassion. <laughs> uh, compassion. And then we had a little bit of an exchange. And the problem was how this person was viewing lost people. When Jesus looked on the multitudes, he had compassion, not contempt. But isn't it true, if I'm not walking in the Spirit as a Christian, I can have contempt? Consider Matthew 9.36. But when he, Jesus, saw the multitudes, he was moved with compassion on them because they fainted and were scattered abroad as sheep having no shepherd. Now, the Lord knew that this was, in fact, in Peter's heart, and this was going to have to be addressed. It wasn't immediate. The Lord's going to continue patient and work with him as he's patient with us. But he was going to have to do this work in Peter's heart if Cornelius was going to receive a sincere, loving gospel presentation from the apostle. I, I pause here in the text and I wonder this. If the Lord hadn't been doing this work for Peter, would Peter have ever done anything for Cornelius? So look at verse 11. And Peter saw heaven open. Okay, so he watched the sky opening. Now, now stay with me here. Have you ever been out on a rainy day and then the clouds open up and the sun shines through? It's that kind of an idea, only when the clouds opened up, a certain vessel was descending unto him, as it had been a great sheet knit at the four corners and let down to the earth. F.F. F. Bruce suggests that what Peter saw looked like a sail of a ship, but gathered up at the four corners in order to hold the contents. Now, what are the contents? Verse 12, wherein were all manner of four-footed beasts of the earth and wild beasts and creeping things and fowls of the air. Now, later we're going to say, see that the Lord says to Peter, kill and eat. So what's coming down in this massive sheet? These are live animals. You get the picture? Now, it's lunchtime. Peter's probably smelling good food but then he sees this come down. He recognizes what is in this big sheet and he loses his appetite. All kinds of animals suggest that the sheet contained both clean and unclean critters. That's in the Greek, critter, okay? And critters, I mean, there are animals you like to eat, and there's other stuff that crawl, that's crawling around in there. Well, you, you can decide. 
Now, because they were mixed together, everything in the sheet to Peter's mind would have been unclean. Why? Because he's a devout Jew. So even good things in there that, that you could kill and eat, not anymore. It's all contaminated in his mind. Then Peter heard a familiar voice, verse 13, and there came a voice to him, rise, Peter, kill and what? And eat. Now how do we know Peter recognized the voice? Think, he with me, verse 14, but Peter said, not so and who's he addressing? Lord. For three and a half years, he knew that voice. He knows who's speaking to him. But look at the response. Not so, Lord. For I have never eaten anything that is common, that's the word for unholy, or unclean. Now let's pause and think about what Peter's response was. Not so is literally by no means. Lord is the word for master. There is no way I am doing what you are asking, master. Can you imagine saying that to Jesus? Now again, let's be honest. We say it to Jesus all the time. Or we don't have to say it. We just know what he expects and, well... Lord, I'm going to do what I want. Lord, you, you'll understand this time, right? I'll just confess it later. Now, wait a minute. If he's Lord, you do what he says. He's Lord, creator, God almighty. You do what he says. Is he truly Lord in your life? We are so hypocritical when it comes to who we know has saved us, but who we're willing to obey. Not so, Lord. By no means, Lord, will I do what you say. And Peter isn't about to change his mind. Verse 15, and the voice spoke unto him again the second time. Parents, have you ever had to repeat yourself? The Lord knows all about that. What does he say? What well, God hath cleansed, that call not thou common. Don't call it unholy. By the way, when it comes to the law of God, God gets to decide anything he wants to change. We'll see why he made this change in a moment. Verse 16, this was done thrice. In other words, it happened a third time and the vessel was received up again into heaven. Three times. Again, that represents the patience of God. We don't always get it the first time and we don't always submit the first time. And God's patient. Aren't you thankful for his patience? Some of you have been challenged over and over about how you view the lost and God is still trying to get your attention. When's the last time you talked to somebody about their soul? When's the last time you shared the name Jesus with someone because they're a mess, they're hopeless, they need our Savior? When's the last time? 
Well, I, I, I know I need to, Pastor. I, I, I'm not the Lord, but the Lord has spoken to you. Now, we need to stop and just take a good look at what is happening here. The Old Testament dietary laws were meant primarily to make a distinction between God's covenant people, Israel, and the idolatrous nations around them. It was not primarily because eating some food wasn't healthy for you. Just depends on how the, the food is prepared. The primary thing was the distinction. God told Israel certain things to do and not to do simply because they were distinct. They were his people, his covenant people. That's why. Because of Jesus' finished work at Calvary, notice the law that condemned man was fulfilled. Jesus did not come to annul the law. Jesus came to fulfill it. He says that in the Sermon on the Mount. And he did. And that resulted in a new and lasting covenant that all the human race could enter into by faith, Jews and Gentiles. Now the reason the Jews considered Gentiles unclean was because of uncircumcision and because of what they ate. It turned the Jews off. It repulsed them. Now all of that was done away with in Christ. Paul would explain this in detail to the Colossians. And I'd like to uh, have you right next to this text, this cross-reference uh, in your Bible. Write Colossians 2, 13 to 17. Colossians 2, 13 to 17. You may want to turn over there, and I'm going to have it up on the screen as well. But Colossians 2, 13 and 17, uh, to, to 17. Notice in verse 13 what Paul says to these Gentiles, these Colossians living in Colossae. And you being dead in your sins and the uncircumcision of your flesh, hath he quickened together. He's made you supernaturally alive. I'm so thankful the day I received Jesus, he made me supernaturally alive. He put my flesh to death. The Holy Spirit moved in me, my new life, my eternal life, Jesus himself. And he turned the light on. Doctrinally, we call that illumination. Now I could understand the things in the Bible that were only spiritually, spiritually discerned and that a natural man can't understand. God did all that for me the day I received him. Quickened together, made alive with him. Watch what else he did, having forgiven you all trespasses. Here's what else he did. Verse 14, blotting out the handwriting of ordinances. You know what the word blotting out means? He canceled out. Handwriting of ordinances is a reference to a certificate of debt. You owed a debt you couldn't pay as a sinner. And through the blood of Christ, Jesus canceled it. That debt was against us 
which was contrary to us, and took it out of the way, nailing it to his cross. Oh, the precious thought that every time one of those Roman hammers came down on the spikes that nailed Jesus to that cross, God himself was nailing the fulfillment of the law, the debt that I owed, he was nailing it to that cross. Mike deserved to be laying there. Those nails I deserved, those hammer blows. But what was God doing in Christ? He was satisfying the debt through the Lord Jesus. What did that accomplish? Verse 15, and having spoiled, that's the idea of disarming principalities and powers, he defanged Satan, the lion. He made a show of them openly, public display of their defeat. I believe that's a reference to the resurrection. You know, while Satan and the demons are throwing a party that Jesus is dead, he walks out of a tomb. There's nothing to celebrate, not for the enemy. Triumphing over them in it. Now because of the conquering Christ, all that was accomplished. Now think about our context. Look now at verse 16. Colossians 2. Let no man therefore judge you in what? Meat. Or in drink. Or in respect of a holy day. Or of the new moon. Or of the Sabbath days. Which are a shadow of things to come. It's just a sign. It was imagery. Jesus fulfilled it. But the body is of your body, the body of Christ. It belongs to Christ. That's the idea. So you always, when you look at Acts chapter 10, you need to compare it with Colossians chapter 2. This is what the Lord is trying to get Peter to see. Now ultimately, Peter was going to need to change his thinking about what made a person unclean so that Peter would be willing to share the gospel with Gentiles as well as Jews. Are we going to have to change our thinking about this? Yeah. The things that cause you to have contempt for a lost person. You've got to remember, you're as wicked and sinful as they are. But for Christ. Well, they're a mess. So was I. Well, they, they flaunt their sin. Hmm, wonder if I've ever done that. You know, they have the same flesh that you and I do, but for Jesus. So we're going to have to change our thinking. Whether a person is like us or we approve of their lifestyle, that isn't the point. What is the point? What does God conclude about all of us before we're saved? Romans eleven thirty two. 32, for God hath concluded them all in unbelief. That's the real problem. That he might have what on all? He's having great mercy. Why hasn't Jesus come back? Mercy. He is still waiting for the precious fruit of the earth. It's mercy. Romans 10, 12 and 13, for there is no difference between the Jew and the Greek, for the same Lord over all is rich. Mercy, rich unto 
all that call upon him. For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Now, let me just pause and make an observation. I think it is true that those who are saved older in life tend to be better witnesses for Jesus than those that were saved younger. Now, why do I say that? Well, I was saved as a child. I didn't realize how great my deliverance was because I didn't realize how awful a sinner I was. Now, my flesh later taught me that lesson. Some of you were saved later in life and you know all the things that you did that you struggle with, stuff that you would prefer to, get, uh, to forget, but nobody has to convince you how rich the Lord was to you and how merciful he is. And so maybe you are more motivated to be a witness for Christ. I would just say to you young people, uh, Thank God for your Christian home. Thank God for the things your parents are protecting you from and forbidding you to do. But your flesh is as rotten and hell-deserving as anybody else's. And so you need to be thankful for your salvation. You were delivered from a death penalty. And nobody out there deserves punishment any more than you do. And so go tell them about Jesus. And that applies to all of us. When you see a sinner who makes you disgusted, remember their sin problem was your problem. Now would this change be easy for Peter? After seeing the vision and hearing the Lord repeat the instruction three times, Pious Peter is still not convinced he wants to do what the Lord has spoken. How do we know? Verse 17, go back to Acts 10. Now while Peter doubted in himself what this vision which he had seen should mean, he recognized the voice, but can I put it just in the modern, Lord, you can't be serious. Now again, any parent understands this. You say something to your child. Are you serious? No. No. I, I just was bored and wanted to give you something insincere to do. Peter's, he's still sitting on the rooftop waiting for lunch going, what? The Lord was serious. Peter, you got to get a hold of this. Behold, the men which were sent from Cornelius had made inquiry. They had asked directions for Simon's house, the tanner, where Peter's staying. And they stood before the gate, verse 18, and called and asked whether Simon, which was surnamed Peter, were lodged there. So while he is, he is just seeing this vision, he's... he's He's wondering about what the Lord had just said to him. His meditation, his quite, whatever's going on in his mind, is interrupted by voices. Is Peter here? 
And no doubt Peter can hear them from the rooftop. What is Peter going to do? What's he going to do? Now you can read on, but I'm just hoping you'll come back next time. We're going to see what he does. What, what's Peter going to do? Let's close. Sinners around you are crying out for your help as evidenced by their desperate living. God is working out a plan in their life and just maybe that plan directed them to you. Now, I want to dismiss that. I've got my schedule, I'm busy, and no. This week, maybe the Lord is going to direct someone to you. With this message in your mind, he is directing them to you. Your flesh is going to look and go, I don't have time. Or maybe you might be disgusted. But what will you do? What you do is based on how you see the lost. I often get asked, Pastor, I work with homosexuals, somebody who claims to be transgender, atheists, people who openly hate God. They're vocal, they're proud about their lifestyle. What should I do? I get asked that. And it's becoming more and more frequent. What should I do? And honestly, it's a good question. I've heard people quote the verse, well, I'm not going to cast my pearls before swine. Do not apply that to giving the gospel. Don't do that. But pastor, what should I do? Here's what I tell them. Don't emphasize the differences. Don't, don't do that. Emphasize the problem that we all have that we're sinners, the problem of unbelief, and that Jesus came to save every one of, not them, every one of us. Don't emphasize the differences. Look past that and see the soul that Jesus died for and loves. And then ask God, Lord, help me to love them too. Never forget when the Wagars got back from their survey trip to Chuk. Josh, we, we talked about what people did over there. What they chew and they spit it all over the place. And it was like, ugh. And, and it was a bit of a shock for them. Lord, do you want us to come here and serve? But when you view the loss properly, and we heard this last Sunday night, they can't wait to get back to Chuk. That's the Lord. And this kind of a perspective. Well, praise God when our missionaries have it. You is one too, Christian. You and I have been called to do the same thing. Well, I'll, I'll do, donate a little bit more time. It's Bible school week. That's why we're still here, folks. Dying people 
seeking to win other dying people to Jesus. God has concluded we are all sinners, but he will have mercy on anyone who will call upon him for salvation. Isn't God good? So let's view the lost as Jesus does. Father, thank you for the work you did in Peter's heart that is such a challenge to us. Lord, we, we can claim to love the lost. We can claim to have concern. But the real proof of any of that is whether we ever open our mouths and share the name Jesus with them. Now, Father, you've confronted each of us today about how we view the lost. Would you help us to surrender our biases, our prejudice, our contempt, if there's any of that in our hearts? And, and that's not necessarily the case with everyone here this morning. But Lord, you know, certainly from time to time we can struggle with that. But Lord, if there's anyone and any of that is keeping them from being a witness to you, or simply the selfishness of just living their Christian life right now for themselves. Instead of acting like pilgrims on this earth, they're behaving like settlers. Lord, whatever it is that's keeping us from being a witness, God, would you do a mighty work in our hearts. And Lord, as, as you did in my heart in Haiti, Lord, just help me to be moved with compassion, Lord Jesus, as you were. Lord, that that would be true of Good News Baptist Church. Now, Lord, in these final minutes together, would you have your own way in our lives? In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening. If you have questions about your relationship with God or you would like to know more about the ministry of Good News Baptist Church, you can visit us online at goodnewsbaptist.org or call us at 757-488-3241. We trust your heart was challenged as you listened, and we want to encourage you to share this message with others. May the truth of God's word be your guide as you strive to follow Christ and make him known to others.